You're listening to the Nashville Labrie Conference podcast. In July of 2019, there was a weekend gathering in Nashville with lectures, workshops, conversations, and meals together. The theme of the conference was being human in a fragmenting world. Each episode of this podcast is one of the lectures or workshops from that conference. To receive email updates about the podcast, including lecture handouts, articles, and books referenced in the lecture, please subscribe for updates at NashvilleLabrieConference.com. Today's episode features Sarah Chestnut reflecting on the incarnation with the help of poets, Jesus, humanity, and ours. Sarah and her husband Joshua serve as workers at the Southboro branch of Labrie. Well, I'm really uh, excited to spend this next hour and a bit together with four poets. Um, if you noted the poets that I listed on the, the blurb for this workshop, we had to send those blurbs in back in December. So I was <laughs> taking a guess <laughs> at which poets I would end up including. Um, I, I, if I had thought about it, I probably could have had it updated but it wasn't until a couple weeks ago that I finally landed on the poems that I wanted to, to spend um, this time together with. So we will, we will be looking at one of Christian, Wyman, Christian Wyman's poems, but then three others who, who weren't listed, but all contemporary poets that I think uh, are worth getting to know and worth your time. Um, so if you're heartbroken that we won't be spending time with George Herbert or... Gerard Manley Hopkins, or Denise Levertov, that is a legitimate grief, um, but I think you'll enjoy uh, the other poets as well that um, I've selected for us. Um, well, I hope that this, well, actually, I'm depending upon this being a highly interactive workshop. I have um, a bit of a presentation to get us started, but... What I really am hoping to do is just frame our time um, so that we can listen to these poems and engage with them. And um, one of the things that I love about poetry is that it gives you literal margin. (laughs) And uh, we all need more margin in our lives. And um, in the midst of such a rich and full couple of days in this conference, I hope that this workshop can, can even function in that way, to give us a bit of margin to uh, think about and explore and distill and, and talk about um, many of the ideas that we've been exploring together. So um, I'll, I'll start with some, some preliminary thoughts and then we'll get right into it with the poems. And I can Well, throughout this conference, we've been taking a long and at times hard look at the fragmented and fragmenting nature of human existence. And the very title of this conference, Being Human, involves mixed realities that we are meant for wholeness and that we're in pieces. 
that there is a unity that should be, that could be, and yet discord and dissonance are prevalent and often prevailing. Um, Put in positive terms, we've been considering what makes for integrated and coherent personhood. Founder of the Dutch Labrie and art historian Hans Ruckmacher said, Christ did not come to make you a Christian. He came to make you human. And this conference theme has us asking, what does it mean to be human? So in this workshop, we're considering what Jesus Christ's humanity means for our humanity and how this uh, handful of poems might help us uh, enter into that question, that exploration, might help us undergo it, as Christian Wyman says um, about the big questions in life. He has said, I look to poetry because it helps me undergo these questions, which is different than just thinking through them. Early heresies that prompted the church to articulate orthodoxy centered not on what Jesus did, but on who he was. Is Jesus really God, divine and eternal? Is Jesus really human, or did he just seem to be? The doctrine of the incarnation is one of the central paradoxes of the Christian faith. Uh, And in reference to these two extremes, Jesus Christ God and Jesus Christ human, these two things um, strikingly and starkly together, which is a definition of paradox, two extremes strikingly and starkly together. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity could not have guessed. (laughs) The word became flesh, as John wrote, or the image of the invisible God, as Paul put it. So what's at stake in the doctrine of incarnation was and is who Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. And I think secondly, um, and especially as we explore the significance of Jesus' full humanity, what this means for our humanity. To what extent can we really be like Jesus? In what ways are Christians really little Christs? So in step with Rookmacher, we might ask, How is Jesus making me more human? How are we to understand the relationship between the incarnation and, we might say, living incarnationally? Flesh is always essential to our existence. So this afternoon we're looking at four poems, looking to them to help us stand and experience afresh the wonder of God-made flesh as the way God revealed himself to us and the way God reveals 
ourselves to us. I think of Romans 8 um, and Paul's language of the creation waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Um, I'm assuming that since you had a choice in where to be this afternoon, uh, you at least want to enjoy poems, if you don't already enjoy poems. Um, But I'm also guessing that there may be many questions about how to read poetry, Um, or about what poetry is exactly. I could get into that old poetry versus prose debate. Um, So if you don't mind cluing me in a little bit, I'm just curious how many of you have listened, read, read a poem or heard a poem in the last week, maybe? Okay. Within the last month or a few months, Within the last year, okay, so like a fairly um, enthusiastic room, uh, which is awesome and exciting. Um, how many of you also write poems? Awesome, that's great. Okay, cool. Well, I think um, we're we're staged. <laughs> we're staged for uh, an exciting afternoon together. I'm not going to teach poetic devices or um, technical terms, um, not because they're not valuable or important, um, but because as I think you, I'm guessing, you would all bear witness to already, um, poems are meant to be lived with. And um, being able to identify a poetic device or a, a trait doesn't help you um, get a poem or understand a poem any more than being able to identify from a lineup of people means you get Anna or understand her. And so what I really hope is that you strike up a friendship with these poems today and and that as you live with them uh, in time, you will be increasingly delighted by them surprised by them, maybe troubled by them as well. So uh, I made a few preliminary remarks about the incarnation. Um, I would like to make a few preliminary remarks about poetry, which I think can serve as our trail markers um, for our metaphorical hike with each poem today. So... Poetry is about language. It has been defined as memorable speech, as language that draws attention to itself. Um, I like what Scott Cairns says in his essay in this book, A Syllable of Water. Um, His essay on poetry is very helpful, especially for those of you who are writing um, poems. I would recommend it. He says, when we're talking about poetry, success lies primarily in the opacity of language, the ability of the words to draw attention to their own cobbled densities 
and to invite the reader to encounter his or her reflection in their surfaces. I've been thinking about cobbled densities <laughs> for days now. Um, it makes me think of um, parables and the way in which uh, parables literally mean thrown alongside, <laughs> that a parable is a story that's, that's thrown alongside us, not because it has some sort of obvious um, uh, allegory to reveal, but because in it, we see ourselves, and it, it exposes us to ourselves in an important way. So this quality of poetry, uh, the cobbled densities of language, is what distinguishes poetry from prose. So as we come to these poems, I think questions that we can uh, maybe begin our discussion with can include what words or phrases in these poems draw attention to themselves. What words or phrases are opaque to you in these poems? And in a very real way, because I think these are, are successful poems, as Karen says, the whole poem <laughs> is, is opaque. Uh, secondly, another trail marker for us, um, W.H. Auden once said that poetry is the clear expression of mixed feelings. <laughs> I like that <laughs> a lot. And questions then for us, for these poems, might be, what mixed feelings do you hear in these poems? There isn't only one feeling. And what mixed feelings do they evoke in you? A third trail marker, Tracy K. Smith, whose poem um, Hill Country will read last, has said, poems surprise us. Uh, sorry, every fully realized poem finds a way to surprise its reader. Now, this is not, or it shouldn't be, because a poet is being especially clever or um, kind of gimmicky somehow to surprise you, but because the poet was surprised first in the writing of the poem. Scott Cairns again has said, given that poets in the very midst of their making a poem have a habit of finding their way to what they're thinking, genuine poems are not likely to be about anything the poet already knew or thought she knew beforehand. There's a discovery that happens. And Christian Wyman, in, um, as I already referenced in his introduction to the Joy Anthology, he says, for him, the best way of thinking through any existential problem is with poetry, which does not think through such a problem so much as undergo it. So our questions, oops, sorry, I have those quotes there, could be, what do you think the poet has come to know through writing this poem? 
What do you think surprised the poet? And what are you coming to know? Or what surprises you in this poem? So, the poems. Did everyone get a handout as you came in? I think so. What I'd like to do is start by reading each poem twice. I think one reading isn't enough to, to get, um, get into it for a conversation. So I'll read the poem and then um, welcome a volunteer to read it a second time. So if you enjoy reading out loud, please don't hesitate to, to lend your voice um, to this poem. And then we'll start with these questions about um, what language draws attention to itself in the poem, what kind of mixed feelings do you hear or have in response to the poem, what do you think the poet came to know through writing the poem, what surprises you, And then finally, because we're asking this question about Jesus' humanity and ours, how does this poem help you undergo, or we might simply say, how does this help you experience the reality of Christ's humanity? And how does this poem invite you to enter more deeply into your own humanity? So those are my kind of prompting questions for our discussion, Um, but you are invited, welcome to make other observations and um, and bring what you what you see to this uh, conversation about these poems. So first, every ribbon thing, like. Christian Wyman by this collection of poems called Every Rhythm Thing. God goes belonging to every rhythm thing he's made. Sing his being simply by being the thing it is. Stone and tree and sky man who sees and sings and wonders why God goes. Belonging to every riven thing he's made means a storm of peace. Think of the atoms inside the stone. Think of the man who sits alone, trying to will himself into a stillness where God goes belonging. To every riven thing he's made, there is given one shade, shaped exactly to the thing itself. Under the tree, a darker tree. Under the man, the only man to see, God goes belonging to every riven thing. He's made the things that bring him near, made the mind that makes him go. A part of what man knows, apart from what man knows, 
God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. Would someone else like to read this for us a second time? Thank you. God goes, belonging to every riven thing he's made, sing his being simply by being the thing it is. Stone and tree and sky, man who sees and sings and wonders why God goes, belonging to every riven thing he's made, means a storm of peace. Think of the atoms inside the stone, Think of the man who sits alone trying to will himself into a stillness where God goes belonging. To every ribbon thing he's made, there is given one shade, shaped exactly to the thing itself. Under the tree, a darker tree. Under the man, the only man he, to see God goes belonging to every ribbon thing. He's made the things that bring him near, made the mind that makes him go, apart of what man knows, apart from what man knows. God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. Thank you. <clears throat> so... Um, it occurred to me that we could also uh, employ T.S. Eliot's uh, ideas that Rob shared at the end of his lecture, two ways that we can respond to literature. What did you like? And what ought you like <laughs> in this poem as well? So we could add those to, to our questions, but um, what, what language draws your attention here. Cobbled densities do you want to note? A storm of peace. Mm -hmm. That drew my attention from the first time Yeah. What does riven mean? Thank you for that question. Riven means uh, torn or split. Old old language, yeah. Riven. So God goes belonging to every torn thing, split thing he's made. And then is there Sorry? I think so, unless others know other definitions of riven. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I like he changes where the period is, so where you where you pause. So it changes the meaning by just changing how you read. Yeah, yeah. I I um I I saw um an interview with Christian Wyman in which he talks about this poem and he said it started just with that line that he got stuck in his head. God goes belonging to every written thing he's made. And the more that I've lived with this poem. Um, 
the more it, it seems to me an exploration of that one line. <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that I love about this poem that I think is amazing is that it takes the whole poem for that line to emerge whole at the end. Um, yeah, that line in and of itself is certainly a cobbled density. <laughs> and he puts in the first line, he puts the comma there, and in the last one it is the whole sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I've seen that before, but I like the way you said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the line itself is ribbon. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 great way to, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm taken by the movement, uh, imagery of movement that's in the poem, and just even, just the repetition of God goes, God goes, God goes, God goes, and something more than observation at the moment, just that. Mm-hmm. Movement that's there. It's not God belongs to every thing. God goes to walking. Yeah. And that is something that's present and present progressive. Yeah. The part that speaks of incarnation, I think, the most to me is the part that I don't understand the most. This is the third stanza into the yeah. fourth. Yep. About the shape given, the shape exactly like the thing itself. Under the tree, a darker tree. Under the man, the only man to see God goes belonging to every rhythm. So I know what he's aiming at, I just don't know yet how he gets yep. to it. Yeah. read this 20 times. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, for me, that's, that's exactly the spot in the poem that I have the most questions and I'm the most intrigued by. Um, I debated about emailing him and peppering him with my questions. I'm like, no, I don't know. <laughs> but, <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, so I just looked at Riven and it's used primarily for what a striving recognizer for nations. And it's interesting because uh, the poet shifts between man as singular, the man as singular, but also man as representative. Mm-hmm. So there's that primary definition, right? Mm-hmm. Of a singular thing splitting, but that shadow definition of multiple things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that idea of that sound. Is it sound being singular, but also everything? Yeah. That's great. Thanks for looking that up. Mm-hmm. There's something, too, about at the very beginning that God goes belonging to every written thing he's made seen as being simply by being the thing it is that reflects back into God its ribbonness there's a there's a part of God that simply is torn reminds me of Mary I think her name who wrote the incarnation poem said for me for him to see me mended I must see him torn there's something mm-hmm. about God's godness that has to be torn from mm-hmm. the beloved to be God. Mm-hmm. Lucy Shaw. Lucy mm-hmm. Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> I, he's done such a beautiful job of capturing the idea that there's so much more to creation happening all the time. It's just multifaceted and we can get into one little piece of it and 
go there, and then mm-hmm. there's another way and another way. Just, I love that, that you're just kind of caught mm-hmm. in an ocean of waves of mm-hmm. a variety of ideas, just expressed by a different punctuation, mm-hmm. focusing on mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. aspects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has cancer. He he did, yeah. He had a terminal diagnosis, but he's alive and well, as far as I know. Yeah. 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 He teaches in the um, Institute of Sacred Music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he does point to that diagnosis and that illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the place where God re-entered. Mm-hmm. Life in a mysterious mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering about that. What do you think of what he came to know through his own yeah. like ostensible ribbonness and brokenness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the storm of peace takes on a different meaning when you think it's written by somebody yeah. who's been battered by that, or being battered by that. Mm-hmm. To, or to be honest, when he wrote this, he wrote it when he was. I think it was during, yeah, during. <coughs> I think he had quite a, a stretch of poetic silence before this poem, though. So this kind of came out of a, a stretch of quiet. Um, and his yeah, renewal of uh, or coming to faith happened both, um, even before his diagnosis was um, in, in falling in love. And he and his wife um, sort of found the joy of the love that they were experiencing between each other to, to for propelling them um, toward toward God um, back toward church it's amazing so he yeah he does write and talk about uh, these extreme experiences this extreme and unexpected joy of finding human love and then within a year of marriage being diagnosed this cancer and so yeah the, this paradoxical experience in his own life mm-hmm. his book My Bright Abyss <clears throat> um, Meditation of a Modern Believer is one in which he writes quite a lot about um, his experience of having um, cancer and treatment and and just the struggle of what it means to believe today as well. Um, He has a new memoir as well called He Held Radical Light, which is one I haven't read yet. Um, He's quoting a line by A.R. Ammons for that title, He Held Radical Light. I do recommend him to you. Yeah, I have been, um, yeah, I am struck again and again by a part of what man knows, apart from what man knows. God goes belonging to every rhythm thing he's made. I'm thinking, too, just with this imagery of ribbon and the question of uh, poem help you undergo the reality of Christ's humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, my mind is going to Colossians and Paul talking about how in Christ all things hold together. Yeah. Um, 
but in him they hold together because Christ was ripped first. Yeah. So that that paradox yeah. there of his incarnation and his divinity, his rivenness and bringing about the unity. Mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, this, this, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, under the tree, a darker tree, the cross. When you look at a tree sacramentally, you see the cross. Under the man, the only man to see God, goes belonging to every other thing. Crucified. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that yeah he's he's I think we're meant to think of that yeah I'll just flag for you um, both this poem and then the last poem by Tracy K Smith they don't talk about Jesus particularly but both use this tree imagery and um, and this idea of a stillness where he writes in the second stanza, trying to will himself into a stillness mm-hmm. where God goes belonging. So I'm just curious about that in both of these poems. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at the next one. I knew that I would feel tempted to just stay with this one poem <laughs> for the whole time, but... second poem is more what well, is um, very explicitly about Jesus. It's a poem called Piss Christ by Andrew Hudgens. Uh, it's probably the most graphic of the four poems so I'll just warn you of that. And again we'll read it twice. Piss Christ, and the epigraph is Andres Serrano, 1987. If we did not know it was cow's blood and urine, if we did not know Serrano had for weeks hoarded his urine in a plastic vat, if we did not know the cross was Jim Crack plastic, we would assume it was too beautiful. We would assume it was the resurrection, glory, Christ transformed to light by light because the blood and urine burn like a halo. And light, as always, light makes it beautiful. We are born between the urine and the feces Augustine says, and so was Christ, if there was a Christ, skidding into this world as we do on a tide of blood and urine, blood, feces, urine. The fallen world is made of what we make. (coughs) He peed, ejaculated, shat, wept, bled, bled under Pontius Pilate, and I assume the mutilated God, the criminal, humiliated God, 
voided himself on the cross and blood and urine smeared his legs. The piss Christ thrown in glowing blood, the whole and irreducible point of his descent, God plunged in human waste and radiant. Another thing I've heard about the language of poetry is that it is incandescent language, meaning it brings both light and heat. (laughs) And uh, this is a poem I think does that. There's heat to this language. Before we hear it again, I'll share with you this photograph, Piss Christ, by Andres Serrano. Another person read the poem for us. This image in mind now, too. It's a hard task. <laughs> I know. I can read it a second time if nobody else wants to, but. <laughs> Thank you. We did not know it was cow's blood and urine. If we did not know, Serrano had for weeks hoarded his urine in a plastic bag. If we did not know the cross was Jim Crack plastic, we would assume it was too beautiful. We would assume it was the resurrection, glory. Christ transformed to light by light because the blood and urine burn like a halo and light is always light makes it beautiful. We are born between the urine and the feces, Augustine says. And so was Christ if there was a Christ. Skidding into this world as we do, on a tide of blood and urine. Blood, feces, urine. The fallen world is made of what we make. He peed, ejaculated, shat, wept, bled, bled under Pontius Pilate. And I assume the mutilated God, the criminal, humiliated God, voided himself on the cross. And blood and urine smeared his legs. The piss Christ, thrown in glowing blood, the whole and irreducible point of his descent. God plunged in human waste and rain. Thank you. Maybe the place to start is with Auden's wise words. 
um, poetry is the clear expression of mixed feelings. And I wonder what mixed feelings you have in response to this poem. Certainly covered all all our humanity. I mean, would not think this could end in a worshipful attitude for the gods. Yeah. Yeah, there's a a feeling of disgust and worship. Some say disgust and awe. Yeah. For me, it's their use of the word redemptive in this. I remember this piece in 1987 coming out. I have vivid, visceral memory of my my anger and disgust at it and talking about it with my friends. Um, I had just been, in the past three, four minutes, transforming even how I see peace art and dialogue with art in that way mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that Serrano was a Roman Catholic mm-hmm. devout Christian mm-hmm. did you have a history on that one not that inside the that part I didn't understand that we did know Serrano had for weeks for his during the classic I didn't catch yeah the, uh, he he Worked in works. Is he? St- I haven't. I don't know actually. Is he still a working artist? Does anyone know? If he's still living. Anyway, he works in fluids. Human fluids is his medium for his work. And so this was a extremely controversial piece that he did, um, taking yeah a gym crack plastic crucifix and submerging it in a vat of blood and urine and then photographing it to to get this. And even as recent as, yeah, 2011, there were um, a vandalism of of it um, by activists in reaction to this photograph as well. Was it at the Museum of Modern Art? Where was it displayed? I think it was in Avignon. Okay. I'd have to I'd have to double check my facts, but uh-huh. I think it was in France. It doesn't matter, but I just wondered. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there an upside down crucifix and a beaker of some sort that was had a similar title and, and one of it in New York? I'm not sure. I think so. There might have been like, like a companion piece to it. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what we were going to see. So I was really shocked. To see yeah. It. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So what Andrew Hudgens does, both with this photograph and also with the meaning of Christ's humanity. I think is incandescent. The pairing of so much vulgar language with with then the you know to end the first stanza with 
beautiful. Light makes it beautiful and ending, as you made the observation with this worshipful um, note of God's radiance. Um, the whole and irreducible point of his descent, God plunged into human waste and radiant. That's the part that was the most stunning to me. That that wasn't the whole and irreducible point of his descent. Mm-hmm. God plunged in human waste like that. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. We certainly tend to. I'm not sure the right word. I mean, see so much of even the gospel through sterile. You know, eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes a shocker like this to mm-hmm. remind us of realities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that's been helpful to me quite recently is um, just gaining a deeper sense of the shame of the cross, and um, I think having having very much a, a sense of the the, that the cross was the place where guilt is dealt with and that the cross was a painful place for Jesus but that the cross was utterly shameful for him um, so that when, when, I, when I stand in Christ I stand with the one who has borne all of my guilt and all of my shame all of the shame possible and this is a poem that brings that into focus as well. I love this line, blood, feces, urine. The fallen world is made of what we make. And then it comes to God plunged in human ways. He plunged in what we make. Mm-hmm. And Um, in this last question the reality of Christ's humanity and the invitation to your own deeper living into your humanity more deeply Um, for me I think what I said about realizing that um, Christ doesn't stand apart from my shame in any way has been um, very helpful and significant uh, gift of this poem and and others. But any other thoughts on that or observations about this poem? I think this poem makes me realize I want to kind of, in some ways, maybe I want to tidy up Jesus, <laughs> and um, I don't know that I would have realized that before yeah. until hearing this, and I'm. Yeah, it's just so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. so familiar though too. It's not like we don't all experience all of these things regularly, daily, especially mm-hmm. if you have babies. Yeah. Um, 
and yet have a real front at yeah, his humanity being fully human. So maybe I try to think of that in theological terms, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. this is as a body, as a mind, because what it means is plunged into this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't turn away. It's disgusted or ashamed or above it, mm-hmm. above us, above our, our bodies and all of that means. But it joins us here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a quote in the last couple of days about, I don't know if it's Freud or who it was, and it's talking about the things that we see in others that we try to clean up, yeah. we critique. Yeah. Um, it, it comes from our own it's our, it comes from our own shame. We're going to mm-hmm. clean ourselves up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have to be cleaned up in order to be made beautiful and radiant. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the antithesis of the gospel, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, mm-hmm. seeing Christ's humanity in that new way, for me, throws my own humanity into a different type mm-hmm. of relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he does a good job of sort of like making us really think through what he's saying in the first first what he says, Christ transformed to life by light, goes driving here and there we go. But the second time he talks about Christ, he says, and so was Christ, if there was a Christ. But if it's not Christ he's talking about, who is he talking about? Right? The third time he talks about Christ, it's the end of radiant. That idea of light again, we read the whole thing again, somebody transformed to life by light. So who is the somebody? It's us. Hmm. The radiance of the statue or the piece of river causing its light on the broken human hmm. that is being born between here and here. And I think that's, that's what you're saying, right? Hmm. And uh, something else which I really enjoyed was um, the progression of the sheer life. Christ doesn't even get to be a human being here. He mutilated God. Mutilation is a word we don't use for living flesh. It's a word we use for broken parts or dead corpses or dead pieces. Voided is a technical term. Again, not not something we would use for our child or a loved one, mm-hmm. right? It'd be something very clinical. Mm-hmm. But then again, once it comes to the whole transformation, it's the whole and the irreducible, yeah. very opposite to what he's been saying. Despite mm-hmm. the broken pieces that he's been looking at, mm-hmm. he's seen something beyond all of that, he's something that he can't get to no matter how good Mm-hmm. 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 Thank you. That's well said. The is the title mm-hmm. the title of the the artwork? I think it's the title of both. It's so, the title okay. of this piece by and Serrano and the okay. title of this poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting too that this makes us feel so off of these images and like but it's not really the worst that man does. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, these are just natural things that they, it's, it's not the worst that we do, but it makes us feel so yeah. bad. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 hmm. like my, my mind is working slowly at this hour, but um, what you're saying about the language that he's, he's using this very kind of technical and distancing language paired with God, the mutilated God, humiliated God, like that, that his, he's being, and this is what the cross did, it dehumanized a person, their humanity, they were no longer seen as human, they were less than human, but to, to say that it was the less than human God here, and then pairing it with like, Trash, get your names at least That's what you were saying. Of, you know, these are very, very human things. Feed, ejaculated, shaft, wept, blood. They're not the worst that we do, and yet we want to distance ourselves from them. <laughs> distance ourselves from our humanity in that as well. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to, like, I, I wouldn't compare any of my poetry to this. But as someone who writes poetry, the word voided is the strangest word in this whole poem to me. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate what was just said about it yeah. being technical language, but that is the word that just strikes me as, are you sure that's the word you wanted right there? Yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? Um, I... My mind went to Philippians two, uh huh, and and like it just a, a a different way of thinking about what it means that Christ emptied himself. Mm-hmm. So you you all thought that as well, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. An earlier version of this poem is still uh, kind of circulating online. He had a published a version published. I don't remember. Let's see. Let me see if I can find it. No. Um, so I, I did contact him about what, which version is is the authoritative version. It's the version you have. It, it was this revision was published in Ecstatic in the Poison, is the collection of poems. But the earlier version has language that. Um, it, it even sounds more creedal, like he's working through the Apostles' Creed um, in the writing of, of the poem. And you get further from that in, in, the, final, in the final poem. But, um, yeah, so I think, I think there is a connection between voiding and Christ's self-emptying um, to be heard here. Mm-hmm. I think for me the journey from the first stanza where um, kind of like we would have recognized the beauty of this until we heard what it was made of and then we were appalled and that that is essentially what the second verse is saying like it's not in, in spite of these things because Christ was, was human in the ways that we are human um, that you that you can't have one without the other, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't, mm-hmm. It's not Christ you're saving if it's not 
the humanity of Christ that you're seeing and kind of compelling us into like the messy places and I think for me not being surprised when Christ shows up there but being like of course this is where Christ would be right yeah. like that is that is who Christ is mm-hmm. and in the mess of the psych ward or emergency room or uh, winter shelter like mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, mm-hmm. I saw this poem as you ended out and I wasn't looking forward to it mm-hmm. you know I, uh, what I'm realizing is, it being a poem, it hits you a lot harder, I think, than a prose description of this idea. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of get the idea, but it's much mm-hmm. more powerful mm-hmm. as a poem. Yes. Yeah, the density of a poem. And his use of repetition, um, I think he uses blood or bled eight times in this poem. Um, yeah, yeah, urine or peed eight times again. And uh, that's a crazy amount of times to repeat a word in a poem. And so it, you, yeah, I think you do feel a bit hammered over the head um, with it. Both of those are eight. I think so. What is that? I'm sorry, I'm a priest. I can't, you know, not hear yeah. eight and think about new creation. Yeah. Okay. The eighth day, yeah. eight sided baptismal ponds. Yeah. We're born through blood, we're born through these, mm-hmm. it's, it's birth. Yeah. There you go. This is this is the case for reading poems together. <laughs> Let's move on to our third poem. Um, this one is by Mary Carr um, in her book of poems, Sinners Welcome. Um, she uh, is a self-described black, black belt sinner and unlikely convert to Catholicism. Um, she has a series throughout this book called Descending Theology in which she's exploring different um, doctrines of Christianity and this one is Christ Human. At the end you know it's for Paul Gojin, I don't know who he is. I did a, a brief um, Google search. Might be her therapist in Syracuse, New York. I don't know, but um, <laughs> just so you know, I'm not sure um, who it is that she's dedicated this poem to. Descending theology, Christ human. Such a short voyage for a god and you arrived in animal form so as not to scorch us with your glory. Your mask was an infant's head on a limp stalk, sticky eyes that smeared blind, limbs rendered useless in swaddle. You came among beasts as one, 
came into our care or its lack, came crying, as we all do, because the human frame is a crucifix, each skeletos born a lifetime. Any wanting soul laying prostrate on a floor to receive a pouring of sunlight might, if still enough, feel your cross buried in the flesh. One has only to surrender, you preached. Open both arms to the inner, the ever-present hold, outreaching every want. It's in the form embedded, love adamant as bone. In a breath, we can bloom and almost be you. Is there a second reader, second willing reader? Thank you, Meredith. Descending Theology, Christ Human. Such a short voyage for a god, and you arrived in animal form so as not to scorch us with your glory. Your mask was an infant's head on a lip stalk, sticky eyes near blind, limbs rendered useless in swaddle. You came among beasts as one, came into our care or its lack, came crying as we all do, because the human frame is a crucifix, each skeletos born a lifetime. Any wanting soul laying prostrate on a floor to receive a pouring of sunlight might still enough Feel your cross buried in the flesh. One has only to surrender, you preached. Open both arms to the inner, the ever-present hold, outreaching every want. It's in the form embedded, love adamant as bone. In a breath, we can bloom and almost be you. There are mixed feelings that you sense in this poem or have in response to it, or things you think maybe Mary Carr (laughs) came to know in the writing of this poem, or words that just confront you. You arrived in animal form, so it's not just gorgeous with your glory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you came among beasts as one. I've never thought of the human skeleton being like a crucifix. Yeah. Um, 
And I wonder if that surprised her to come to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's not something so simple as if what she describes, you're lying down yeah. under the sun and enjoying it, and you become a crucifix. Yeah, I think. And it's skeletal underneath. Right. You know, not that your bones in themselves are that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, but. I kind of took it as mm-hmm. that we're burying our bodies, like a, you know, in the way that Christ bore the mm-hmm. crucifix we carry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the skeletos born, it's the past participle of to bear, to bear um, the skeletos. But that's. that's like, why? That's a. Right. It's not even a word. I mean, it's the <laughs> prefix with an S on the end of it. Isn't it? It's, uh, I think it's the Greek. Um, so it's, a, it's just a, an anglicization of the word skeletos or skeletos? I think so. Which, that, that's the line that I have the most questions about. <laughs> Each skeletos is born a lifetime. Which you hear born, B-O-R-N, most likely. Um, but then you read... B-O-R-N-E. And so it seems to me you're supposed to think of both options here. Hmm. And you see, if you choose to see, kind of uh, the spinal disc in the, in the line. Yes, thank you. That's great. I've, I've been uh, contemplating, yes, the form of this poem and wondering about it, and I think that's a great observation. Did you all hear that? You see, you see a spine, like the discs um, in the shape of this poem. She says later, it's in the form embedded. Yeah, yeah. Which is like a pervert kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Hmm. And really, the last line in particular, where, you know, both the realization of what she's saying, but also the full expression of desire, because she's opening up the tension and not closing it off with purity. Yes. You know, yeah. Here I am, but also I want you, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. She uses very bodily language throughout like the meat of the poem and then like blooming I associate with plants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, connect to lungs though too. Oh, that's true. Isn't that language for lungs over there? Is it? I don't know. Anybody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But human lives are like over in breath too, so it's yeah. to mm-hmm. me it's it's about dying, and that's the, when we move into this new level of participation in God. I think mm-hmm. at death we are all you know we never reach it, but we mm-hmm. continue. We become more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think the last line is about dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought in a 
punctuation in that last line was pointed out. There's not a period at the end. It opens up, keeps going, there's more. Or I've wondered if there's a degree of timidity to say that we, you know, like, I can't say it so so boldly so as to punctuate it. <laughs> we can bloom and almost be you. Period. But like, So I was wondering the same thing about how the first line is indented, mm-hmm. and the last line is not. I, I almost wonder if it's like, you know, this is a song that never ends, and, it goes, <laughs> and you come back, and I almost wonder if she's intending for that last line to go back up huh. to the top. I, I'm totally speculating, but hmm. it, the, the first line starts indented, which isn't normal, and the last line ends without a period. I almost wonder if it yeah. repeats. Hmm. But, and that's why the G is lower. This is totally speculative. I'm just evaluating that form. It, it just caught, it just struck me that the indentation and the punctuation. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Perhaps I'm reading it through the, the lens of the first poem mm-hmm. that uh, we read because I'm so struck by this inescapable givenness yeah. that no matter what we do, how ribbon we are, or you know, we describe how how much we're plunged yeah. into the depth. We can't escape that we've been, even if we, you know, void ourselves, even if we commit suicide, that we were still given our being. And uh, those last lines, uh, it's in the form embedded love out of his bone, mm-hmm. as Unescapable mm-hmm. um, that that uh, and it's both in the beginning of creation, we're given our our existence, but it's also in the incarnation of Christ coming in and redeeming mm-hmm. that existence as well. And so that last line and breath can bloom and almost be you is like is the, the incarnation in Christ coming into this world and him stepping into our humanness like he breathes and in, in our breath we can if there's like a connectedness that's uh, mm-hmm. where my mind went mm-hmm. but if you, if you flip the poem though and you end with a lot of the because there's this whole Catholic thing about that God became human so that we can become God mm-hmm. like in our Psalm 82 I've said that you are gods mm-hmm. and that's a lowercase g so, and it's such a short voyage between breath and that level of participation, theosis, divinization, yeah. being in God and yeah. being God. Not in, not in a, like a, you know, a bad way. Right, right. But yeah. um, it just, now I can't, I can't not, thanks man, I can't not see that. <laughs> that it's like, yeah. it's such a, it was a voyage down, which was a huge, infinite distance you But the short voyage is when we, God took our humanity into Christ took our humanity into God's presence into heaven and so it is 
it's we're on the we're in the hinter you know we're on the margin now. The hinterlands. Yes. We're going to say. What I'm going to say hinterlands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I've been working through mm. some. I've taken breath as being crying out. When you're laying prostrate on the floor, you're crying out for something. And it's bringing your pain, or like that infant has the pain. The infant comes crying out in pain. And so the breath, I, I wondered if it was the, the breath of your humiliation. You're, you're bringing your hurt, your pain, or... Mm-hmm. Humility before God. I'm crying out because I need something from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, the theos is we we can learn, we can be human. Like mm-hmm. we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking theos is too, and to what Aurora was saying, going back to Genesis, is thinking about the breath of God coming yeah. into. Yeah. See you in the, the second telling of the story of the creation of the, yeah. the man. Yeah. And there's that, that breathing of God that gives him the breath of life. And then yeah. blooms into this almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's stick with kind of that train of thought, but go into this last poem. Um, I think we won't really get to discuss it. I think it's 3.15 is when we're meant to end, I believe. Thank you. So this poem is called Hill Country by Tracy K. Smith. She is a recent poet laureate. I've just been getting to know her and really enjoying her collection, Wade in the Water. You might want to have a look at that. <clears throat> we end at 3.15, am I right? Does anybody have a schedule here? Okay. The next session, I think, is 3.45. It is. Okay. I'll read it, and if you want to just leave on the reading of the poem, you're welcome to. If you want to stay and discuss it, um, that's great. Hill Country. He comes down from the hills, from the craggy rock, the shrubs, the scrawny live oaks and dried up junipers, down from the cloud bellies and the bellies of hawks, from the caracaras stalking carcasses, from the clear sun-smacked soundlessness that shrouds him, from the weathered bed of planks outside the cabin where he goes to be alone with his questions. God comes down along the road with his windows unrolled so the twigs and hanging vines can slap and scrape against him in his jeep. Down past the buck caught in the hog trap that kicks and heaves, bloodied, blinded by the whiff of its own death, which God, thank God, staves off. He downshifts, crosses the shallow trickle of river that only just last May scored the side of the canyon to rock, gets out, walks along the limestone bank, castor beans, cactus, scat of last night's coyotes, 
down below the hilltops. He squints out at shadow, tree backing tree. Dark depths the eye glides across, not bothering to decipher what it hides. A pair of dragonflies mate in flight. Tiny flowers throw frantic color at his feet. If he tries, if he holds his mind in place and wills it, he can almost believe in something larger than himself rearranging the air. He squints at the jeep glaring in bright sun, stares a while at patterns the tall branches cast onto the undersides of leaves. Then God climbs back into the cab, returning to everywhere. So like I said, please, if you want, feel free to uh, slip out, but keep going if you'd like. Would someone like to read this a second time? Oh, yeah. Great. Comes down from the hills, the craggy rocks, shrubs, the scrawny live oaks, and dry vinifers. Down from the cloud bellies and the bellies of hawks, from the caracaras stalking carcasses, from the clear sun smacked soundlessness that shrouds him. From the weathered banks of planks outside the cabin, where he goes to be alone with his questions. God comes down along the road with his windows unrolled so the twigs and hanging vines can slap and scrape against him in his jeep. Down past the buck caught in the hog trap that kicks and heaves bloodied, blinded by the whiff of his own death, which God, thank God, stays off. He downshifts, crosses the shallow trickle of river that only just last May scoured the side of the canyon to rock, gets out, walks along the limestone bank, castor beans, cactus, scattered last night's coyotes, down below the hilltops, he squints at shadow, tree backing tree. Dark depth, the eye glides across, not bothering to decipher what it hides. A pair of dragonflies, mates in flight. Tiny flowers throw frantic color at his feet. If he tries, he holds his mind in place and wills it. Almost believe in something larger than himself rearranging there. He squints at the jeep, glaring in bright sun, stares a while at patterns the tall branches cast onto the undersides of the leaves. Then God climbs back into the cab, returning to everywhere. Thank you.
love how much particularity she packs into this poem. Junipers, castor beans, coyote scats, dragonflies, all of these very, um, very specific to a place things. Something that um, Christian Wyman writes in My Bright Abyss is, if nature abhors a vacuum, Christ abhors a vagueness. (laughs) There is nothing vague in the imagery of this poem, though I do find who is God here <laughs> to be a vague, a vague thing in this poem that has me asking a lot of questions? But are there things you want to notice in this poem? Yeah. There. Yeah. The thing that stands out to me is that returning to everywhere, it's like the everywhere means so much more because of dwelling in the particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Talk about surprise. I thought I knew where the poem was going until you hit. If he holds his mind in place and wills it, he can almost believe in something larger than himself, rearranging the air. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. about this direction. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the section for me, too. Kind of starting with. He squints out at shadow, tree backing tree. Dark depths the eye glides across, not bothering to decipher what it hides. One of the images that, that came to my mind since we were talking about incarnation uh, and also just coming out of one of the songs with my eyes into the hills. Yes. Yeah. my help to come. Yeah. So I think of the Trinity and of Jesus climbing into a Jeep, driving down through the hills into creation, living here among us as a human, mm-hmm. seeing these things in the eyes of a human with the questions of that human, with uh, almost believing something larger than himself, he himself being the one to rearrange, rearrange in the air. Then he comes back into the cabin, that contrast that you were talking about. Of yeah. The, the glorious is the everywhere because of being in the particular particular place yeah. there. So yeah. it just became kind of a fun image for me of being of Jesus hopping into a Jeep driving down yeah. to heaven into the reality of right. the yeah. 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 And well, he's he's in the driver's seat <laughs> um, in the end. Um, yeah. Returned everywhere. Yeah. Downshift. Like downshift. Yeah. Down, down, yeah. down. Downshifting. Yep. There are 33 lines to this poem, uh, which again I'm like, probably not incidental. Isn't this? Sorry. Isn't isn't this uh, this questioning gets in me because it's all images of decay, death, until he gets to the two images of beauty and life just after dark death he doesn't bother to decipher it a pair of dragonflies mating death tiny flowers from frantic color beauty is trying to say hey we're still here this is why you're doing this but he can't see it mm-hmm. right and and jesus in the garden is, uh, is saying like 
I don't know why I'm doing this anymore, God, but if you will it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what I thought, you know, if he holds his mind and, and takes him will it. Mm-hmm. going, I don't I can't, but I will, I'll get into the cat and I'll go. I'll mm-hmm. So you're seeing Garden of Gethsemane uh, moments here in the yeah. yeah I see. Mm-hmm. Well, even like I see the dragonflies and flowers sort of being eaten at that moment. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're here with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but he has to trust that it's there because mm-hmm. he can't see it. Well, he's went under the shadow tree backing tree. Is that that's a crop? You know, is that talking about the cross? Dark depths, the eye collides the cross. Not bothering to decipher what it's high. So it's reaching that. It's come down, but it's reached to the point of the cross and mm-hmm. knowing what that is. But I can relate that to what she just said too. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, God breaking the silence. Think of what Rob said, too, about we are always responders, human human responders. That's what it means to be human. So here, this imagery of he, he, he comes out of the sun-smacked soundlessness that shrouds him. Like God breaks that silence in Christ, subjects himself to the terrain, <laughs> um, intervenes in death the buck caught in the hog trap the death that staved off there um downshifting yep yeah and this imagery of drought or flood you seem to get a contrast of a shallow trickle and yet just last May you know a river that was raging where is everybody now? Hmm? Where is everybody now? Mm-hmm. 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 One of my questions for this poem is, um, is, this, is this one in which we are supposed to see Jesus as God? Yes, I think so. And then to what extent is this the the God likeness that humans have are meant to have um, in creation. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about it in that moment when Gethsemane towards the end, like if I'm putting it in that parallel because I'm just stuck on the rearranging the air but of that moment of, of saying not my will but yours be done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just like God doing a new thing yeah. through the incarnation mm-hmm. maybe that being what she's touching on, mm-hmm. changing the fabric of reality, rearranging the air. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also that I was thinking about the dark death 
the eye blood crumbs not bothering like her with high I know we were talking about it as leading up to the crucifix, but also maybe maybe not bothering the disciple what it hides because God is not afraid of the darkness that he's like, yeah. I have no power yeah. <laughs> in comparison. So I'm not I don't even need to mm-hmm. to worry about what mm-hmm. you're hiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My my thoughts on it, even darkness is not dark to you. Yeah. Tonight is a Friday it's day. It's kind of a carelessness. So. Mm-hmm. 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 Really not being struck by it. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts you'd like to share on this poem or any of them? Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you all for engaging these poems with me. Thanks for listening. For more information and updates about future conferences, sign up at nashvillelibreconference.com. Special thanks to the Rabbit Room Podcast Network for their know-how and hosting of this podcast. You can find their podcast network at rabbitroom.com. And a special thank you to my friend, Drew Miller, for providing the podcast music. You can find more about his upcoming albums, Desolation and Consolation, through his website, DrewMillerSongs.com.